The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Dave Peltzer. Dave is a sought-after keynote speaker on the subject of resilience and a recipient of the National Jefferson Award. He's the author of the New York Times best-selling book, A Child Called It, and seven other books. His new book, which we'll mostly be talking about today, is Too Close to Me, and it provides an honest and courageous look at how, no matter your upbringing, everyone can strive for excellence in life, including a happy marriage, a positive relationship with your children and a satisfying career. Welcome, Dave. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm glad to have you. Well, thank uh, you, ma'am. Um, we're mostly going to be talking, of course, today about uh, resilience and, and how to create our, our happiness, but I think the listeners uh, need, a, need a little backdrop for that. You experienced a childhood that's unfortunately more common than most of us would like to think. Uh, very difficult, difficult childhood, and you wrote about that in your first book. But I wonder if you could share just a, li- a little as background to our conversation. Well, very quickly to kind of, you know, put it in a nutshell... Uh, I didn't realize this until I was basically 18 and I was enlisted in the Air Force and signing out of foster care in the uh, Bay Area in San Mateo County. I had to read through a stack of, you know, information, like 10 inches thick, and there was one piece of paper uh, that was from, I think, the California Consortium for the Prevention of Child Abuse, and it somehow identified me as one of the worst cases of child abuse in California's history. You know, you're talking out of like uh, 38, then 1,000 cases for one year, and what really got my attention is that victims who are one and two deceased after they were rescued. And what I'm trying to convey is, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 54 now, and I have a pretty good heart and a pretty good brain and 10 fingers and 10 toes, and yet how fortunate I am to still be walking and talking or hopefully of service on this planet. Because the bottom line, and, and, and everybody knows this, is everybody has a history. Everybody has a past. Everybody has something that hopefully they've uh, uh, walked through the, you know, what did Winston Churchill say many years ago? When you're going through hell, you got to keep going. So everybody's mm-hmm. been through something. And unfortunately for me, you know, I was abused for the first uh, 12 years of my life, and thank goodness I got help. Thank goodness I was blessed. And, uh, you know, I was able, fortunately, to kind of just move on, even while it was happening to me. It, it, it's just we live in a society where some people think, oh, my God, uh, I don't have an iPad, I'm being abused, or my boss wanted me to work an extra half hour, even though I only work one hour a day, I'm being abused. 
and where people expect something for doing nothing or if something bad happened to them, they expect, oh, my God, I'm going to get a, a free ride on this forever and ever. And what I try to talk about in either lectures or radio or in the books is, you know, everybody, again, has that negativity. What can you do to make it more, you know, positive for you? Because I've never met anybody, Cheryl, that's come up, come up to me and cried and says, oh, my God, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of cancer. They say, you know what, I'm a survivor of the cancer. I fight the cancer. And now that I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cancer-free, I want to live every day with something, with something. And unfortunately, as we talked about before, you see a lot of people, I see a lot of people that are walking dead. You know, they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they just can't seem to find their footing or they can't understand that they survived something for a reason and that they're blessed because they survived. You know, one thing I really got from reading your book is that uh, it, there's, a, and maybe this is because it's the lens I look through, that uh, in order to get where, where you're talking about, to, to see your beautiful life, um, you have to allow yourself to pay attention to, to what's happened. You know, well, there's, there's, I think a lot of it's just maturity and humbleness and appreciation. Um, I, I remember my mother forgot. <laughs> she said, oh, I forgot to feed it today. It's been eight days since I fed it. Maybe I'll feed it tomorrow. And I remember counting as a kid, I think it was either 10 or 14 days, not one morsel of food. And, mm-hmm. and you know, what happens, your stomach starts to collapse and digest itself. And I remember I had a flash of anger thinking, I want a cheeseburger. I want this. I'm the family slave. I deserve this. I want mine now. And that didn't really feed me. I remember thinking, okay, there's a water basin in front of you. You want the cheeseburger, but the water will do. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is every time I have a glass of wine, a Coke, a coffee, every time I eat something, it's, I still am hopefully appreciative, oh, my God, today I've got food. So it's almost like I tell people every day we're not bombed by terrorists every day. It's not a 9-11. It's a great day. Every day you can pay the rent or every month you pay the rent. That's a good day. So it's almost like you have to experience something to draw from. And a lot of people are having a hard time, especially uh, like my son's generation. They always had an iPad. They always had a smartphone. They always had these things that were just instantaneously given to them. And then something happens. They're going, oh my God, work is hard. My son called me a little bit ago. He says, dad, Work is hard. I'm going, yes, it is. Dad, marriage ain't easy. They say, welcome to the club, son. Mm-hmm. You know, because if, if you, you know, try to shelter yourself from feelings, emotions, if you try to shelter yourself from something that might be painful, in, in the short term, it's okay, but sooner or later, you know, it's going to bite you in the butt. So I, I look at it this way. The first 12 years were very difficult. Foster care was not easy, but it was easier than the first 12 years. Being in the military, that was hard. But then it's like, oh, my gosh, if I can survive G.I. Jane mom, I can survive this, which led me to this, to this, to this. So it's almost like you have to make your opportunities when bad things happen to you rather than wallow in your own despair because that's only going to get you so far. Well, uh, ironically, I feel as if, uh, you know, having read your book, um, Having to live through very brutal treatment uh, did create in you the capacity to kind of go forward regardless, which which has some good qualities. Yes, well, uh, I, I think I that's what so. you're but talking, there's, there's talking about. There's almost that teeter totter thing. You might be great on the job, but you might suck. 
and personal relationships or vice versa. And, and, and I'll say this nicely. I, I mean, I know these people who call themselves master motivational speakers, and they're going to tell you something for three easy payments of 1995, and they act like they're godlike. And I tell people the truth, listen, I'm a work in progress. Today, I'm having a good day. Today, I'm working on this. Tomorrow, I'll try to work on this. But, you know, we all have something. And, you know, and it's always, you know, that yin-yang thing. And I just, I, I try, my, my thing is I try to do three nice things a day. Try to make people laugh three times a day and just be the best person I can for today. But that's out of, you know, a lot of work. Every day, I work my own little program, whatever it is, whether I work out, whether I pray, whether I'm a volunteer firefighter, whether I pull weeds or change the key litter, I always try to do a certain pattern every single day and then reach a little beyond that. But that's just me. And for me, that works. You know, one thing that that I was thinking about a lot as I read the book is that, um, uh, here's my belief. We, As kids, we pick a way of coping with whatever's going on that kind of comes naturally for you. You kind of saw beyond it. You you had a capacity to kind of hang in there and do it, and you're still applying that to your life now. As I was reading the book, I was seeing also the downside of that, that sometimes we keep playing the same card over and over, even in situations where it's not working. I I had a teacher once and he'd say, I've always been an endurer, but the only difference now, and I still am, but the only difference now is I only endure things that are worth it. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I I used to work with people in program, you know, recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, and and it's amazing, people who were just, their brains are completely fried, or people that were brilliant, and, and they fell into the trap, and it's amazing how much I drew from them. And there's a line that they say in uh, AA, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting or demanding a different result. And in my case, uh, you know, I got involved in child abuse prevention at a very early age. I was still in the armed forces, um, became a counselor in juvenile hall, helped out here, did in-service training around the state, then in-service training around the nation. Then I would work uh, 12 hours a day. And I remember one year, Cheryl, I worked 300 and I think 32 or 31 days. 16.8 16.8 hours average every single day, and yet I couldn't do enough. Because I was blessed with a commercial success of a book, uh, and because I got a few awards, I would just, I mean, it's like I was running for governor of the world, and I couldn't do enough training for people, I couldn't give enough money away, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that, and now I'm at the point, you know what, whoa, 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 slow down and have some boundaries. You're given a lot, but what are you really giving up? You're giving up time with your wife, you're giving up time with your son, sleep, food, or even like the wonderment of life, you know, and that's why I say again, that teeter-totter thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, a hard, it, it's, it's a hard road because every day, sometimes six hours a day times two, I would give an in-service training on psychology and resilience, and people would get their CEUs. I remember after doing that, people were going, hold it. What about my CEUs? So some people, they have a tendency to give so much to themselves, they have nothing left. And in my case, I did it because out of guilt, that I survived, we call that survivor's guilt, or sure. guilt of shame, that I was rescued when my siblings weren't, or other people have had a hard life, and they're not blessed like I am. And now it's like I, I say, well, I'm 54, I'm very lucky, but at the same sentence or same breath of air, I say, I kind of worked for my luck. 
Yeah. What is that saying? Chance favors the prepared mind. In other words, it helps if you do the work, right? You did, you you did, you did the work. Because again, a lot of people, they expect that, you know, it's, it's weird. That's why these info commercials work so well because they know, okay, people have insomnia from like one to 4 AM. They're miserable. They're watching the TV. They have no life. And something that seems again, three easy payments of 1995 and your life will be transformed. Oh, please. Please, you have to work it every single day, whether it's uh, losing weight or gaining muscle fiber or the relationships or communication or, you know, a lot of people, uh, I had a lady one time, Cheryl, it was really embarrassing. She says, I want Pelzer success. I want awards. I want to be a best-selling author, but I don't want to work like Mr. Pelzer. He works too much. And I'm like, ma'am, you need to step out of here. You know, it's like if you want to be a special forces commando, that's not for the meek and weak. You want to be a single parent, you got to be strong every single day. You know, and that's, it's like anything. I just try to work it. And I've been very fortunate because the other side of this is I was 14, been in foster care for about a year and a half. And the, uh, I think it was the county psychologist or psychiatrist. I mean, he was braggadocious to my social worker, my foster mama. And he said, there's no way this Pelzer boy is going to make it. He cannot walk. He cannot talk a single syllable. The abuse was so traumatic, I predict, as the doctor, that this child will be dead or in prison at age 18, and people started to clap. And I'll never forget this, Ms. Jones. The social worker kind of, you know, elbows me to the side of the chest and says, you know what, boy, if you can survive all that trash that you did without any help, without any training, all alone, then I expect greatness from you. And that was what I call one of the turning moments, because at age 8, and we all know the first 8 to 10 years is 90% of your psychological psyche, who you are, your place in the world, and what you're made of. My mom had burned my arm above a gas stove. I manipulated the situation so she would not burn me further. And after she threw me downstairs in the garage in the, in the Bay Area, I remember looking at my arm and feeling that I had pain, which means I'm alive, which means I'm not dead. I said, oh, my gosh, I survived. And what I did, Cheryl, is I raised my injured arm with all the blisters from the palm of my hand to the bicep. And I said, from this moment on, I'm never going to quit, and I'm going to give everything my best shot. So what I'm trying to convey is we all have those moments. I tell people if they're going through divorce, this can be the best thing that happened to you. I'm sorry you lost your job. This will be a blessing because now you're going to have to work it, work it, work it, work it. And the next time you have a job, you're going to appreciate it. You're going to work a little bit harder, stay focused. Next time you're in a relationship, you're not going to complain about the little things that don't mean anything five years from now. So like I said, I've lost a good 12 years. And I didn't walk. I didn't talk. And yet years later, I got to fly for the Air Force. I used to speak four different languages. I do comedy. I do a radio show. I write books. Or, as I told you uh, before we started, I'm a firefighter. My mm-hmm. father was a firefighter. And now I get to be a firefighter. So it's, again, what you make of the disparity. Well, there's, there's uh, a, a little bit of an irony, too, isn't there, Dave? Because um, you had to um, do quite... Um, well, I'm looking at a, at a piece from your book about having to behave in a certain way to, to um, uh, please your mom or to, to do what yeah, she was well, asking you to do. And chore and, after chore after chore, in a way, you used that later in a more beneficial way, didn't you? Well, as a child, what I was doing, and it was like Pavlov's dog, you know, if I didn't breathe incorrectly, if I did a thousand chores in five seconds or less, if I did everything that was demanded of me, I might get fed. 
And then yes. I thought, okay, I'm starving. I need food. At the same time, psychologically, you're kind of chasing someone's approval. Absolutely. You know, and, and we all kind of do that. Mama, 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 look at me. I can swim. I can run. I can jump. I can ride a bike. Look at me, mama. And then, of course, as a teenager, hey, how you doing? Look at me. Hey, how you doing? You know, I mean, we all kind of do that. And in our 20s, that narcissistic age about me, 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 and me too. Now, I'm sure psychologically, I kind of did this as an adult, and I wasn't doing it for approval. Like, hey, guys, look at me. I can, I, I, I can you know, help you. I can buy you things. I can save you from yourself, blah, blah, blah. I just... Part of it was my survivor's guilt. I thought, gosh, I'm so blessed, and these people have nothing. I, 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 it was like a, a nice, maybe spiritual obligation, but then it, I remember the example, Cheryl. I uh, bought a, a wing for a foster home. They, they, had, they took in foster kids, and they, they needed a wing, so I did that. Thank you, Mr. Pellis, but I, I, need, I, I need a new SUV. Well, okay, I'll do that. Six months later, Dave, I need another new car. Well... I don't know if I can do that. All right, I'll suck it up and I'll do that. And then when they call again, I says, Joe, I can't do that. And then, well, F you this and screw you that. And golly, she is. I hate your guts. I'm going, dude. But the problem is, you know, it's, it's like that's still my side of the street because I'm not expecting to be acknowledged. But because I had a deep sense of appreciation, or if I shake your hand, or if I tell you I'm going to rescue you, you've got my bond, my word. And I thought people would respect that. But I can't transfer that to other people. In a sense, you know, if I'm a patsy, it's my fault. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me once, shame on me. And that was a hard lesson to learn. And every day I still have to learn that. And that, again, is about boundaries, how much I give of myself and how much I expect in return. Yes, and um, and seeing yourself as worthy of that same kind of care that you were giving to everybody else. Well, that, and, and, and again, it's weird because, I mean, I look at my bio or my Vitae or whatever vernacular you want to give it, I'm going, this is impossible. There's no way a kid with no coordination can fly for the Air Force, top secret missions, or no way a kid doesn't speak, speaks like this, or all these things, and going, gosh, what a blessing. But then at the same time, too, you see people, I see people that they're amazing at what they do. And I always like the backstory of what makes people bad and what makes people exceptional. And the one thing about exceptional people is, Nine times out of ten, there was a tragedy. They had to learn from it, adapt from it, and they just kept working the program. And it's like they run five-minute miles. That's nothing to them compared to some guy who's watching, you know, armchair quarterback on three days Monday going, well, I can do that. I'm going, no, you can't, dude. You haven't tried. Don't even try. Let them do their own thing. But I think what it is, too, is when you're inside and you're outside match. I think Oprah said it perfectly. I'm 45. I'm not going to be a size two. I love myself as much as the inside as I do on the outside. I'm going, yeah, I'm 54. I'm almost there. Because it's almost like when you're a teenager and you're the clunky kid with the glasses and corduroy pants and you got a few pimples. And on the inside, you know you're really, really pretty or you're fairly attractive, but on the outside, it doesn't match it. And people kind of have a tendency to just look at you, you know, from the wrong angle. And I've always known in my heart and I tried to show this to my mom or my siblings or my family, I'm not the Antichrist. Mm. I'm not the devil's spawn child. I'm a real good person, and I really want you to see it. But the more you chase after something, the more it always seems to be just beyond your grasp, and even mm. if you get it, Absolutely. you get the job, you get the girl, you get the date, it's never going to be what you want. So you really have to be contained within yourself. That brings up something I really want to talk about in the, in the next segment where it's time for our break, but uh, that, that uh, 
what surprised me somewhat in reading your book is that you knew from a really young time that it wasn't you, that it was your mother. Yeah. And, and it feels to me like that has helped you so much. So yeah. I really want to uh, talk about that more when we come back. Um, and listeners, in these few minutes, go to my host page. Tell me your own story of transformation through loss. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been in touch with me because I, I really love our conversations. You can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Dave Peltzer at D-A-V-E-P-E-L-Z-E-R, DavePeltzer.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and Dave Pelzer joins me today to talk about how he found his way to a satisfying and love-filled life through facing the issues related to a very difficult childhood. And before the, the break, Dave, we were talking about um, the, the, uh, the fact that uh, even when you were going through um, what, what you've uh, phrased the worst child, uh, case of child abuse that um, the social services had seen, you knew somewhere in you that this was a problem of your mother's. And of course, for children, I work a lot with, with adults working with these issues. For children, um, children tend to assume it's them. Well, I, but, I, you know, I, I believe that in the beginning. And, you know, I I have, I have to kind of slow down here because, again, you're the therapist, but, you know, I've taken every class in counseling. I've done a lot of what I call combat counseling. Now, here's the fact of life. Children think in black and white. That's it. Yes. They think in black and white. 
And sometimes I think as we grow an adult, it's a lot of gray in life, but we still think in black and white. We still cling on to the issue from 20, 30 years ago. I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're looking at the situation for what it was and not what it is mm. today. So in the yes. beginning, I was brainwashed. Absolutely. Parents are perfect. Parents are God. I am told I'm a bad child, therefore I am a bad child. But as I matured just a little bit, about age eight, and that's why I say that again, that was so important because the first eight years is your imprint. So when I decided, oh my gosh, after being burned on the gas stove and the first time I manipulated the situation rather than being burned further, I realized, oh my gosh, I purged. For the first time in my life, I'm in the bottom of the basement. I psychologically vomited. Because some people, Cheryl, and you know this, Miss Jones, I've got a problem, and I can tell you a little bit of this, and this is too disgusting, I can't tell you that, and that's too dirty. It's like they spit out the bile, rather than shove your finger down your throat. Mm. Vomit everything out on that nice Versace, Armani suit. You can always wash off the hair. You can always dry clean the suit. Get it out of your system, because nine times out of ten, and we all know this as adults, once you vomit everything out, physically, ten minutes later, Oh, man, I want a greasy pork sandwich. You want to be filled again. Because a lot of people, they didn't want to go through the minutiae of life of vomiting. I purged at age eight. And as I purged, I realized I'm not the Antichrist. I'm not the reason why you drink. It's not about this, this, and that. And you have that moment. It's almost like when I used to work with women. And I was like going crazy. Why don't you leave this guy? This guy is killing you and your kids. And what do you, you don't know what it's like. Who's going to date me? I'm old. I'm over 30. I'm, I'm fat. I'm skinny. I wear glasses. Da, 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 da. I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see something different that they don't see. So you have to see it first for who you are. So psychologically, the fact that I saw it in linear terms in black and white, then I took psychological control knowing I could not change my exterior environment because I, I made a vow. If mom doesn't feed me, I'll feed myself. If I get attacked, I'm going to tighten up body parts. If she wants me to go left, I'll go right. So it's almost like you're a child POW and you have to outthink it. You know, and it's a lot of work and it kept me mentally and physically and spiritually busy. But in the long run, boom, I just excelled in life. But, you know, it's, it's hard for people. You know, it's like the longer you don't work with the cancer, the more the cancer is going to work you. Absolutely. But uh, you're saying something also very interesting to me, which is that in some sense, there was a moment of uh, illumination where you, where you understood uh, this, this, I'm not this bad. This can't be me. <laughs> yeah, but we, we, we all have, have that. But then it's like yes. some people, they, they, sp- they spit it out. They spattle it out. But then the bio takes over. I mean, when I purged, I mean, it was the first time I mean physically, psychologically cried, allowed myself to go through all the emotions, as bad as they were, as disgusting as they were, so I can come to that empty part. Oh, my God. Because a lot of people, I mean, it's kind of simple. And again, you're the therapist. Our job is to eject that bad DVD and then have you inject the Blu-ray surround sound DVD, you know, to replace those bad habits, those bad thoughts, those bad actions. And you really, really, sometimes you've got to reboot 100 times an hour just to work the program. But a lot of people are too afraid to work the program. Maybe they're shameful of it. Maybe they think it's going to be too much hard work. But I'll say this, okay? If you're the listening audience and you're over 35, here's a question from Dr. Jones and Mr. Pelzer. How many more summers do you have left? How miserable have you been? And is it really working for you? If not, do something different. Give yourself the permission to have the courage to step out of your bad past and do something that makes you happy and fulfilled. Mm. 
You know, the thing is, I, I, I believe this is, uh, there's a lot of reinforcement for any kind of pain being something to avoid at all costs. Oh, my God. And, and really, emotional pain is not that bad when you, when you walk yourself through it. It's pretty bad when you try to get rid of it. It, it's, it's weird because we all know this, you know, as adults, particularly mothers, they can go through excruciating pain that can just, like, shut down a city, okay? And yet two minutes later, honey, here's your beautiful baby girl. Oh, my God! But yet somehow it's the mental aspect. We don't want to go there. It might be too ugly. It might be too frightening. And what I try to do is once I get people to vomit psychologically, once I get them to purge out all that stuff, and I say, okay, now, how old were you, sweetheart? You were 8 or 10, you were 12. This isn't you. This isn't you. And they have that aha moment. They go, oh, my God, I've wasted 20 years. Going, honey, that's okay because now you've got another 30, 40 years. You know, that's right off a loss. It's like you and I go to Vegas. We lose a five grand. Push yourself away from the table. Don't double down to double down because you're always going to lose. Just start anew. Again, definition of insanity. Do something different to make your life different. But, again, give yourself permission to go through the minutiae to go through the defecation of life, because you can always wash it off. Uh, yeah, you're reminding me of a, of a saying of one of my teachers, Stephen Levine, who works a lot with death and dying. He said, it doesn't matter how long you forget, only how soon you remember. <laughs> so it's well, never is, too and, late. And it's we, never we too late. Too, I mean, I did a show last week about you know, evil and forgiveness. And we all know, there, I mean, there's, there's a, a foundation, it's, it's the foundation research on forgiveness. And I think it was Dr. Bernard that says holding a grudge and not working through your issues is the most painful, destructive thing you can do to your life force because it, it, it basically makes you a prisoner of your past. My mom, unfortunately, God bless her, was horribly abused. Raised as a woman in Salt Lake City, Utah, when it was men, then dogs, and 20,000 people below that, women, was raised, keep your mouth shut, we deny this, it didn't happen, and never open up Pandora's box. And we all know that cancer might be dormant, but cancer never goes away. And somehow she got triggered, and then somehow, too, raising three, four, then five kids, and then somehow, too, with alcoholism, my God, she was the perfect cocktail. And all I'm trying to do with this, I want to know as much as I can about the cancer of abuse, the cancer of hatred, so I can find a cure whether it be the power of forgiveness, whether it be moving forward, whether discovering your own resilience. And, you know, if I wish sometimes I was Dr. Death, I would come up to these people, oh, boo-hoo, I was abused 40, 50 years ago. Guess what? You're going to die in 10 days. Here's a question, Dr. Jones. If we all knew we had 10 days to live, what would we do? Personally, I'm buying everybody drinks and dinner. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go on that cruise I always wanted to go on. I'm going to see that movie. I'm going to see my sister Cheryl. I'm going to live the best I can because I've only got 10 days left. So that's why I try to tell people, you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. You can go to church and be shot. You can get in a car crash. As a firefighter, Miss Jones, I see people who really believe they're coming back. And if I put them on a helicopter, I don't know. Odds are yes. not in their favor. So I'm trying to say maybe we just work on how much time and energy and love we have left and go from there. Let's talk because you've you've brought up um, two things in your your life that uh, further taught you uh, about savoring living and finding a way to to live well. 
um, your military experience and your uh, firefighting experience. Let, can we talk about your military experience for a little bit? Because well, I, I was uh, always uh, a romantic. I, I mean, I still am. And children, it's, it's some people, adults don't get it. They overanalyze it. Because a question I ask some people is, why do they like X-Men? Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, um, Iron Man, because, or even Superman. It's a duality. The inside and outside. You know, on the inside, they know they have superpowers for good, and the outside, they might be kind of clunky. On the inside, I always wanted to fly away. Kids like me, they want to fly away from danger, or they want to fly to a safety zone. My superhero was always Superman. Hmm. So as a kid, you know, I always wanted to fly, and I always studied planes about, or books about planes, and one thing led to another, and I wanted to be a firefighter like my dad. Air Force had a firefighter course, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I dropped out of high school as a junior, and I only dropped out to work. I was working 90 hours a week in junior high, because once you're 18, you're homeless. Boom, that's it. So and you saw that coming, huh? A lot of kids don't see that coming. Well, I did. Problem. I saw it at age 14 or 13 when I was in foster care at 12. And I didn't want yeah. to survive all I did just so I could be homeless, like my father was eventually. So I had all these little master plans. I wanted to join the military for selfish reasons. You know, I'm going to join it for four years and get myself together and maybe be a firefighter. And it didn't work out. And I had like the worst job in the history of the planet. I was a cook in the swamps of Florida from three in the morning to nine at night, five, six days a week. And that was just starting out. One thing led to another, and I sucked it up and became a little commando boy and jumping out of jets and running five-minute miles and was able to go to college and get, a, you know, get some good math and applied for you know, the fly, and I got the fly, and it was part of a surrogate family. I was part of an elite, very elite group of individuals that made every field the SR-71 spy plane. As a foster kid, it took me forever to get a top-secret security clearance because I was a foster child. Mm-hmm. The mantra was, what'd you do, boy, to become a foster child? You got issues, boy? Mm-hmm. You a bad boy, boy? I had to prove myself over and over, but I was into that. Hey, man, you say no, I'll say yes. You say left, I'll go right. One guy ran a seven-minute mile. I'm going to do it in six minutes and 50 seconds. You know, you kind of push yourself. So the sure. military to me was a surrogate family, and I was very proud to go from one extreme to the other, and I've always kind of had to do that where I had to prove myself, but, you know, I don't mind. It's like a relationship. I'm going to prove to you I'm a good man. I'm a good provider. I'm a good wife. I'm a good this. I'm a good person. As a worker, I'm going to prove because this is in my natural blood. I don't do it for politics or recognition or narcissistic uh, acknowledgement. I know my capabilities, and I'm going to give it my best. Now, my best may be different from your best, but I'm always going to give it my best shot. And again, it always goes back to that primer. Look at uh, what was that lady's name in uh, Gone with the Wind? Uh, Scarlett, she says, mm-hmm. as God of my witness, I never go hungry again. And, and again, Ms. Jones, everybody has those moments that they're not going to be slapped, they're not going to be demeaned, that they're going to fight for something they believe in, they're going to work hard to protect their kids. We all have those moments, and sometimes we forget our dreams, we suppress them, or we just give up. And I've given up on lots of things. You know, it's almost like what time and energy do I, do I apply for things with the time I have left? You know, we all kind of shift around. Yeah, and but but what I felt reading your book is that you've um, you haven't changed your stripes in the sense that um, obviously you're still a very hard worker. You're still able to really apply yourself, and 
you're more discerning, I guess, I would yeah. say, about who you're going to apply that for. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's kind of natural in a sense. It's almost like, I remember, I didn't, I never socialized. I mean, as a kid in the basement, I, I, you don't socialize a lot. So in right. foster care, I mean, I was always the guy in the corner like, leave me alone. And in my 20s, I never dated. I never go out for drinks. I never did anything. And then when I was divorced in my mid-40s, I mean, I, it's not that I, I would go out and sit in the corner and watch people watch people and stuff like that. And it slowly evolved. And, you know, I was able to do that. And then after you know, giving away so much money or, or landing at 2 o'clock in the morning to drive four hours just to speak to like 20 foster kids and someone yells at me that I need to drive another 800 hours another way. I'm going, okay, let me try. I'm starting to say, you know what, this is how much time and energy I have. These are my boundaries. I'd love to help out as much as I could, but for right now, I have to decline. So it's almost like, you know, you, you, you evolve, and, and that's what I've tried to do. And if some, like I used to do a lot of rescue ops, and sometimes I say, you know what, I'm off to you right now. I can't. I'm too tired. You know, give it to someone else. You know, it's nice to be wanted, but at the same time, too, I mean, I've almost, I've, I've almost basically uh, not been around us anymore because I give myself too much. I mean, physically and spiritually, it's like, oh, my God. Again, one year I worked over 330 days, and that was 16 hours a day. That's a lot of work. And, of course, at, as, as far as I'm concerned, when we overplay our best quality, it, eventually it plays out. You, you just out. get tapped out. You know, there, <laughs> and then we don't have lot. access to it for a while, yeah? I, I remember this lady said, you know, I'm the mother of five, and when I'm sick, my house shuts down. So I have to take care of myself first before my husband, before my lover, before my kids, before the church, before my job. I take care of me, and it goes, oh, my God, I'm going, that's right, because if I can't take care of me, I can't be a grandparent. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good husband. I can't go to church. I can't be a good firefighter. So it sounds a little narcissistic in a way, but that was hard for me because I was so devalued that you serve before you get food. You work before you get acknowledged. So that's a little bit of training on my part too. Yeah, but it seems as if you finally, uh, and it it does uh, take that for many people. You finally kind of reached the wall on that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was going through a <laughs> divorce in my second marriage, and I was, I mean, I had one guy call me, he was a very nice guy, he called me James Bond meets Jack Bauer, because I would travel so much and do all these things. You know, when I was single and dating, they said, we can't keep up with you, and we don't even know what you're doing, because you don't, you can't tell people you're going to Iraq, and then you're doing three weeks in Katrina, and then there's Joplin, and then there's Bethesda with the troops, or then you're helping out in foster care. I mean, it just looks like an obvious facade, and then people see my flight itinerary, stuff like that, going, oh, my God, when do you sleep? I'm going, well, I had a 45-minute flight. I can sleep then. But when you're young, you do things. And I'm at the point in my life now, I try to be discerning, again, about how much time and energy I have left and what I'm going to do and not do. Well, we're also talking a bit, you know, what I like to say to people who I work with who are caregivers, they're, they're caring for people who are very ill, uh, you know, you may end up learning how to take care of yourself for just the reason you were talking about a minute, minute yeah. ago. You're not going to take very good care of anyone, ultimately, if you're not okay. Yeah, and so, if you break down when things don't go a certain way. You know, it's, it's weird because you have the compassion to help, but at the same time, too, you kind of have to disconnect and learn something from the process. You know, and that's what life is. We all think we got a hand. I mean, Clint Eastwood said it perfectly. He says, I thought I was so smart and had everything together. Then I turned 80. And the older I get, the dumber I realize I am. 
<laughs> you know, because you, you, your, your battles are different or your priorities are different or, you know, like, like I read an interview about some guy says, you know what, I had a cup of coffee and I, I didn't have to go to the bathroom 20 times a day. And you look and they're going, what? And then you realize, oh, my God, this is what it really means. Or, yeah. you know, like the, the, the boys and girls in Bethesda, you know, this one guy lost his arm. And I was very sorry for that. And I said, what did you learn from it, son? He says, I gave my mom static as a teenager. I didn't want her hugging me. I would brush her off. Now, every time she hugs me, I can really feel her love. Mm. I said, son, you didn't lose anything. Mm. So there's, again, that yin-yang. I've joked around, and I've always said, give me these people that complain about how hard their life is, or they need to be a bigger celebrity, and they need more selfies about themselves. I said, I'll give them a ride in one of my C-17 cargo aircrafts. I'll drop them off in Kandahar. They get one bottle of water and a broken compass, and I'll say, happy, happy Hunger Games. I'll see you in six days, dearest. And if you can survive my Hunger Games, you're going to come back humble and appreciative. That's a great place to break for our, for our uh, second break. And uh, listeners, you can go find us during the break. I'm at www.weatheringgrief.com and also the Good Grief Host page. Dave Pelser can be found at davepelser.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been here talking with Dave Pelser, author of A Child Called It and seven other books. And we've been talking about his most recent book, Too Close to Me. Um, 
you know, we were talking a bit about your military experience, but re- what really stood out to me, because you also included in that some work you've done with with uh, soldiers who've been in- injured in these conflicts we have uh, in the world, um, what really stood out to me was the passion you have for how precious life is. And I was saying during the break, that seems to be something that all these people I interview every week who have gone through, you know, very profound losses have in common this kind of passion for um, living their lives, honoring life itself, honoring uh, the gifts we have. Well, I, I think part of that too, and we kind of, you know, touched on it a little bit, is it, it has to do with maturity. It has to do, again, with that, you know, exposure. There's, there's so many people, and unfortunately we see them in the news or the TMZ shows, and they think they're the best thing on this planet, but yet they've never walked an old lady across the street. They never say sir or thank you or ma'am. They never produce anything of value. And yet other people who, who, I mean, the salt of the earth, who work, who sacrifice, whatever, they've been on the dark side. They, they appreciate what they have, in a sense. And I, I think the pattern is I knew the situation, how bad it was. I knew how grateful I was. I remember one time I stole food from a garbage can. I remember soggy, spoiled food from a garbage can. And somehow, to me, it was roast beef dinner, and I was anointed as Pelzer the king, and my kingdom was before me in this beautiful, beautiful banquet, you know, and yet it was garbage because you have to, you know, there's got to be a little bit yin to the yang in a sense. And it's, it, again, that, that sense of maturity. And it's weird because I'm always asked too, Cheryl, like, Dave, would you change any part of your life? And sometimes you really think about it. Well, I've had different parents. I might have become a doctor or, or a U.S. senator or help with the cure for cancer. But then I have to be honest say, you know what? No, because my past Everything about it, every step, as bad as it was, as millions of mistakes I've made, you know, it's really made me the person I am today. And, and, and you know, I'm just, just trying to be the older I get, more grateful about the value of life. And, and sometimes I forget this. I was talking to a staff member today, and I said, oh, my gosh, did the 4th of July already come and go? I forgot to take a day off. Because sometimes I think we work and work and work, or sometimes we're miserable, and we forget, hey, it's summertime. Let's have a mm. hot dog. Let's have a beer. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the picnic type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've always been blessed with that sense of appreciation. And I'm just, uh, you know, at 50, I, I, the old saying, you know, if, if I knew what I know now in my 20s, boy, I can really kick butt. But at the same time, too, I've still got at least another 10, 15 good summers in me, you know, and I'm just looking forward to it. Well, and that is sort of the uh, the arc of living, isn't it? Because we don't know uh, at twenty what we know at fifty or sixty. Yeah, you, you don't. Yeah, see it. And, you know, and, no and, matter and, what, no matter what we do know, you know, my kids are ahead on kind of confronting deaths because they had someone die real early, but they have other lessons they're going to learn. You know, and, and, and we all know this too. I had a piece of bad news from my son today, and and being a father, I'm going. Well, you're twenty nine, and this is on you. This thing is on you, and I can love you and support you, but this is a lesson you're going to have to learn. And, you know, a year from now, we're going to be looking at this differently and laughing about it and whatever. But there's always, and I'll say this too, there's always an evolution. It's never really too old. Like Clint said, I'm learning a lot more. I appreciate things more. I mean, uh, I became a firefighter about two years ago, and I'm ex-military. I have published, no one's had the blessings I've had in the publishing world. And I'll say this nicely, no one 
has had the accolades I've been given. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have them. And yet now I'm thinking, okay, I'm the probie. I'm going to do what I have to do from the bottom up to become just a regular firefighter. But I'm going to work it and own it in a sense, because there's always something to learn. Because a lot of people, they get a certain age, say, okay, I'm just going to watch TV. I'm not going to go back to college. I'm not going to learn a new craft. I'm going to just retire and die. Hmm. Okay, but that's their choice. And I'm just, uh, you know, happy to be here. You know, I'm curious um, how you decided to do that. I know from reading your book, your dad was a firefighter, which might or might not have drawn you to it because he was kind of complicit in what happened with you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's with my dad, you know, not to jump in here, but, you know, it's really weird because I knew my mom was sick. I mean, obviously she was an alcoholic and she was abused by her psycho mom and blah, blah, blah. And the thing about my dad investigating it, they all said the same thing. He was a very gentle man, not a gentleman, but a very gentle soul. And I think with him, he didn't realize how bad the sickness was. And so it was way, way out of control. And the pivotal moment for me was my mother had me swallow ammonia. Now, let's talk about this, ladies and gentlemen. You're dead. It closes off your trachea and your esophagus. You are dead. Because mm-hmm. what you want, it, it, there's no oxygen exchange. Same time, it burns the inside of your lung linings, the linings of your lung. And, and what my mom did, she slapped me in the back of the you know, upper part of the back. <gasps> and I was able to get that bubble and breathe. Less than 24 hours later, she did it again in front of my dad. And I'll never forget this. I'm about to black out. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And I look at, I'm looking at my, my dad's shoes. He just came back as a firefighter that day. You know, he's got his uniform on. And I'll never forget this. Show. He says, Merva, what has the boy done now? The boy tried to steal food. Merva, if he only fed the boy some food, maybe he wouldn't steal so much. And I thought to myself, oh, my God. You're a firefighter, you rescue kids from burning buildings, and you can't take me and let's go, as you Mm. promised? Next time she does something, I'm going to do something. Next time she does this, I'm going to do something, son. So it's really hard for me to kind of like, you know, whatever, but I think all boys are drawn to their fathers. You know, their fathers are superheroes and so forth. And my dad was an amazing firefighter. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to be a firefighter. My fantasy was to serve and work at his fire station. We can finally be together. But to me, firefighter is a romantic job to be of service. You have to be physically, mentally smart, and, you know, just boom, boom, boom. And I never thought in a thousand years after all that I've done. I mean, I've flown F-15s. I've tankered every fuelings. I hang out with the president. I mean, you do all these amazing things. And I never, th- I mean, even two months ago, Cheryl, it's not really in the press, uh, I got firefighter of the year. I got Congratulations, Dave. I got firefighter of the year. Well, thank you, ma'am. And I remember my chief was there and my captain's there. And the first words I blubbered, I said, God, I wish my father was alive. This would be amazing for him. You know, we all well, walk in our parents' footsteps. And also, I'm not it, to... it just, yeah, it just occurs to me that, that you followed the best part of your father, the place where he did show courage, and yeah, he did, I know. And he and, did, and, and and he did help people. He, he died all alone. He was in a hospital. He had cancer. Uh, and my mother was so deviant. She didn't tell the firefighters or his family or anybody. And I was there when he died, and he died homeless. And the only thing he had was his badge, number 1522. And when I became a firefighter, I talked to my captain. I says, can I get a badge? She says, well, and, and I explained the situation. And she says, okay, let's make yours 152-A. Mm. So it's on my helmet. When I go in, I carry my badge with me, like to this moment I carry it. And all I'm trying to do, in a sense, is just carry on something that maybe wasn't there, but have a sense of honor. Because if you really look at the work I do, Miss Jones, 
It's not about me. I don't like it to be about me. I don't like myself too much. I'm not, I'm ego, but I'm ego like I'll do this. I don't do it for like, look how great I am. All I want to do is serve quietly with a sense of honor. And if I can help out, that's great. But if they don't see the gift, that's okay too. You know, I'm, I'm circling back around to what you said about forgiveness and how crucial that is to kind of keep everything open inside of ourselves. And to me, in a way, I'm, I'm hearing your honoring of the, good, the, the goodness in your dad as a human being. And even my mom. You know, cause, and your mom. We don't forgive the acts. We forgive the person. Well, we forgive I think the human. Do, like I said before, we hold on to grudges. It kind of empowers us for the moment, that shield. But then if you keep that shield on, it's a habit. And you're blocking out. You know, it's almost like you've got a bulletproof vest. You're blocking out the love or blocking out the blessings. And unfortunately, too, a lot of people, once we saw it, we see it every day, kids shooting people in schools and churches, and they have such hatred in their heart. And yet when really, I, I said it last week on my radio show, I said they're on the wrong side of history. They're on the trash heap of history. But the one thing that when evil happens and it will happen is when we unite with faith and with forgiveness, that is such more powerful than, 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 than the hatred and the revenge. My mother was very sick. I forgive my mom, I understand the illness, and I hope she's resting in peace. I truly, truly, truly do. And that allows me to accept more love and more forgiveness on other things. Because my mother did not forgive. And it's almost like I poke you in the chest once. You poke me a hundred times just to get even. And then it goes on generational, generational, generational. So all I can do is be the best person I can be today. And then tomorrow I try to attempt again and then live the life according to my standards, to my values. Well, and, you know, it works the, for me. The word that is coming to my mind, Dave, is liberation. You've liberated yourself from that cycle with them. Um, and, it's a daily, and I'm not perfect, Cheryl. I mean, I mean, I hate when people say, oh, my gosh, you're the great Dave Pellis. I'm going, you have no idea. You do not. <laughs> Nobody me, is okay? that, right? <laughs> and, it's, 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 and some people are looking for the cloak or touch the hair or live with Oprah or work out with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going, dude, that's fantasy land. I'm a regular guy, you know, and, and I've made a million mistakes. And, you know, my job is to be a good father. My job is to be a good person. My job is to be a good husband. My job is to be a good Samaritan. And, you know, what? I look at it as a sense of duty. I look at it with a sense of responsibility and awe. You know, great power comes great responsibility. And today I've only made maybe 20 mistakes, but the day's not over yet. And at the same time, I think it's so important to have a wicked sense of humor. What would we do without it, Dave? I don't know, man. Why so serious? (laughs) Well, um, I think there's also something about being... Being willing to expose your mistakes, which you yeah. clearly are, and just say, yeah. this is the mistake I made that taught me this. Well, yeah, uh, and I do it as a firefighter. <laughs> I say, guys, don't try this at home because I'm the unprofessional here. And it's almost like the more you admit your faults or the more you're psychologically, spiritually naked, it's like, okay, yeah, I got a belly, I got a bald head, or I got this or that, what of it, you know? And because a lot of people, I mean, it's about control. And the more they try to control, they said it in the first Star Wars films, Princess Leia to Darth Vader, the man of evilness. The more you grasp your hand to control, the more planets slip out of your fingers. And people do that. And it's like the more I can give my control away, you know, like, okay, let me try a new thing. Let me try a new skill set. Let me, let me at least fumble and crawl. You know, the more you're, you're like, okay, I screwed up. Big deal. Now what? Let's move on. 
you know, I, I I meet a lot of people who have that kind of view, and and generally, it does come from coming through hard times. Yeah, and it's learning to value yourself. He says he made ten thousand mistakes before he got it right once. But a lot of people, they don't want to fail, or their ego gets involved, and they don't want to learn something from it. And I say, okay, then 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 you should shoot yourself as a baby. Because as a baby, you try to crawl, try to walk, and you fall and you're patted behind a thousand million times. But then you evolve, you learn. And then when you can really start running, you're going, yeah, man, I'm in stride. And it's like you've got to give away the shame and the ego. But that's just me. <laughs> well, I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, let you go without saying that um, it was very heart-touching. Um, heart it touched my heart uh, to read the end of your book, um, which seemed so vibrant and alive and to read about your your wife and and just being able to experience your life. So Well and I'll say this, Cheryl, too. I mean, I'm not a plug of source, but that was an eight year project, that one book. Because usually books about a year, year. I'll and bet, half. I'll bet, I'll bet. And, and I love how it ended. It, had and to, it ended very beautifully with my mom basically floating to heaven. And I thought that was had, so beautiful. Absolutely. Dave, I want to I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I've I it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. Well, and I I'm sure we'll you, keep Doc, in touch for all that you do for all those people and God bless you. Thank you. Next week my guest is Claire Willis, author of Lasting Words: A Guide to Finding Meaning Toward the Close of Life. We'll be talking about her work with ill patients in hospice and her experiences helping others make make the ending of their lives meaningful. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.